have known him through his Instagram stories as a father, through a little bit of his conversations, and and what we know of him as a dad is largely through social media. But today is the first time that he's ever spilling the beans on being dad, and and really what prompted that decision, and you know what are the values that he wants to take from his childhood and transition that back onto his kids. And I'm very very excited to know Karan Johar, the dad. And he is father to Yash and Rohi, and we're very excited to chat with him on his latest book, which is his first children's book along with Juggernaut. And can't wait to deep dive into this chat with him because it really brings out a lot of conversations that you and me need to have today because it is on gender stereotyping, and somewhere, consciously, subconsciously, we're all doing it. Hey, Karan, so nice to chat with you today. No, thank you. So tell me, what really prompted this book? So actually, it was a conversation I had with Chiki uh, Sarkar. You know, when she spoke to me about the idea of doing a children's book, and I think uh, to me, uh, you know, what's always been not upsetting. Well, it's been almost uh, when I observed parents say things, you know, to their children, and as it's, I don't blame millions of parents because I think that's how they grew up by things that were just loosely said without realizing that they can actually walk into the psyche of a child and stay there. Children are very impressionable. Things that kind of enter their, their psyche and their headspace actually define and make them the people they eventually become. So little things like when you say, why are you crying? Don't cry. No, boys don't cry. Now, why would you say that? Because that goes and makes a boy feel like he's a totally different, you know, person in, on some different kind of emotional pedestal as opposed to a girl. Right. Or you turn around and tell a girl that you should learn Kathak or you should learn ballet or you should not learn Taekwondo because apparently girls don't, you know, learn Taekwondo. Now, if at all, what a girl must learn in this day and age is definitely self-defense. And a boy should not be in a... And if a boy wants to wear a pink shirt, like this blue-pink phenomena really drives me crazy. And my children, you know, were succumbing to that stereotype that, you know, oh, I don't like blue because that's for Yash. Um, Ruhi would say, I'm pink because I'm a girl. And it was just bothering me, these things. And I used to tell my nurses and nannies, my own mother, you know, please don't say these things. If he, Yash wants to play with the doll, it's fine. It's a doll. I mean, you know, if, yeah. if Ruhi wants to ride the car or the cycle, let her. You know, why does she have to sit with the doll and Yash has to be with the car and he has the water gun, but Ruhi has some kind of a Barbie kit. And I'm like, we're putting them into boxes. And the moment you put your children into boxes, that's who they become. They live in that box and they don't know the world around that box. So I believe in fluidity, you know, and I believe that you have to allow them to breathe, grow, and then eventually become the people they need to become by their own choice, not yours. You can't dictate their choices for them at a young stage. And we put, we say the more the darnest things, you know, we say the most ridiculous things which actually come from no space of logic. You know, so the book really was when I was talking to Chiki and in that conversation, I kept rambling about this. And she said, you know, you have a book right there. So that's when we got writing and, you know, and it was just a story of like, like twins because I wanted to kind of base them on my own experience. It's about how we raise our children and what we say. The book is very simple. It's really about what not to say rather than what to say. Right. I definitely do feel like we're all products of our childhood. What was childhood growing up like? 
I was a very effeminate child in my growing years. It's not something that I had any control over, either my, the way I ran or the way my hands moved or the way I was. And, you know, there used to be a word in this 80s, they used to call boys like that pansies. You know, the word was pansy, which is not a word we use today because now there are boxes you put, you know, sexuality into now terminology boxes. Um, but um, I, I would say that time, it used to make me feel that I was lesser, you know, in terms of when you went onto a football pitch and you weren't allowed to play because you were apparently not a boy, you know, because you were like a girl. They thought that was what other boys thought. Uh, similarly, uh, you know, it was the same thing even in the groups of people that you met. So I was always closer to the girls, you know, it was the boys would either make fun of you or then be protective of you. There was no kind of equal give and take. You know, it was either boys who would say that, don't worry, I'll, you'll be okay if you're standing by me, or they would make fun, poke a joke. So when you, I wasn't allowed to play sport, I wasn't allowed to kind of, you know, engage with those activities that were then, I found myself seeking some kind of solace in food. So then I grew, you know, into a larger boy and then an even larger boy. And that, and that made me get my own level of insecurities. So one thing, ripples into the other. So my childhood was not troubled. It was beautiful. I had the most solid parenting. I had wonderful, wonderful relationships around me. But these things do walk into your headspace, you know. You have to then fight your own inner battle to emerge from there. And that I did. Fortunately, I had my mother and father were the kind of parents that gave me that self-confidence that they never, ever, ever made me feel like, you know, I was different from anyone else. Um, and, you know, in fact, I walked the path of like drama and elocution and debate in school and I got my confidence from there. So I still remember that at my school, um, like the last year in school, you know, where normally the boys who run in sport are the most popular. But I had to kind of achieve that level of popularity in school because I was the, the debater, the elocutionist. I was the drama face. And, you know, I had got equal number of points for my house. You know, we have red, blue, green, yellow house. So in my... In my headspace, I had emerged as a star, I'd like in my own head, of course. But I felt like that gave me the confidence to combat what was coming my way. Had I not been successful at something else and my parents hadn't encouraged me, I may have lived with that insecurity all my life and God and Lord knows where I would have been today. But that's where I think parenting is very critical because no matter what the child goes through, my parents never made me feel like I was different or lesser or like I should be like the others. My mother never told me, why aren't you hanging with or playing more sport? My father never, my father, you know, just encouraged everything I ever wanted to do when I wanted to learn a language like French or learn an instrument or kind of like do drama and theater and, you know, and, and you know, possibly not do what other boys were doing. He allowed me and my mother allowed me. And I think that's why I'm here today. There was a point in time as a child, I was the only boy in like a jazz ballet class. You know, and I remember my, my father used to drive me to that class. And I'm talking about the 80s. And I, he didn't find it strange, and therefore I didn't find it strange. And I was the only boy in that class. Because I wanted to, then when I was in college, I did a course on like ballroom dance with actually uh, Siddharth Roy Kapoor. Uh, you know, you know, he's a filmmaker. His mother, Saloni Roy Kapoor, used to have these classes in Kulaba and Kaf Parade. And I did jazz and the foxtrot and the waltz. And, and I don't know for what joy I was doing this, but it made me so happy and no one stopped me. And I'm like, my father just told me, whatever you do, enjoy your work. That's it. 
you know so and i think that's the advice i would tell parents to tell their children that you know you may think that you know papa ka business hai and you know the son should kind of do that or do something more stable in your opinion like being a lawyer doctor engineer is everybody thinks those are more stable professions but the only stability you have to really look for is your child's mental health and stability and that comes from their core happiness and if they want to be a musician they may not make the money that you may imagine that that the world needs to make you know to survive in in our times today but at least it will give them the joy to try it and let them reach a decision that they've not worked it out for themselves don't make it for them you know yeah. and i i believe that like my father always told me if you fail at something that doesn't mean you failed it means you've learned something and you'll move on to learning something else and i i really think that i got the right kind of thoughts that having said that some of the stereotypes also came my way you no know, parents are not no parent is perfect Yeah. But I think I would say I drew more positives from my parenting than any negatives. What's the kind of value system you know? You're they're obviously growing up with the abundance of so much. What's the kind of value system that you want to imbibe in them? Firstly, respect for each other's gender is not negotiable. In my respect, like I believe that that this bifurcation of girl and boy has to kind of stop. And like, there's no way that I will allow any kind of like. superiority given to one over the other you know that is something that is not and i i'm training them to be like that you have to respect each other as genders and respect all respect everyone and just respect is very critical so when you know when the other day i walked in and you know and i i said do namaste you know to uh, to somebody and because i trained them to do namaste not for any other reason it's also because we're in covid times so that's the that's the it's the reason why namaste was probably hygienic but to me i'm not being like traditional and indian i'm just being practical and also making them get mannered but to me that manners is very critical the second thing for me is manners say the hellos say the thank yous say the goodbyes please be mannered because that's the one thing that i appreciate in every other children that to me manners is not negotiable i think the third thing is expression of love like i want to train them to be able to express their love not just their dissent or their disappointment mm-hmm. uh that to me is not not negotiable but that to me is emotionally not negotiable because i think that we rarely allow our children sometimes not allow we don't express our love so our children don't express their love so i'm always expressing mine and i'm making them express theirs you know i always tell them if you come once in a while without a reason and tell say dada i love you mama i love you because they call my my mother mama as well and i'm like to express your love because we don't allow something that kind of expression we are sometimes especially between fathers and sons it's a, i know it's a cliche and again a stereotype but it's true to around us there's a lot of silence in that dynamic for some weird reason because i think men in general don't like to express themselves uh, i don't want that of my child of my son or my daughter so the other thing is the is expression of love respect for gender manners expression for love and of course the other thing that for me is very critical is is discipline because i believe they must sleep at a certain hour wake up and have some kind of discipline because i know what it's done for me like i'm never late for a meeting because i respect time because my father and mother respected mine and allowed me to respect theirs yeah. uh, i feel punctuality is a very underrated virtue you know i believe that we others yeah 15 minute ka delay is apparently okay it's not okay in my book i'm like i'll never make someone wait and i believe from now i inculcate 
that discipline in them so that in the future they can go ahead and i'm making my mistakes i'm allowing them the sugar that i shouldn't i'm allowing them the 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 food habit sometimes i'm allowing them to be a little i'm allowing the indulgence now and then i can't help myself i'm a single parent in that way and i feel like chalo i'm allowed some of those things but these are some of the qualities that i believe in my space of parenting are not negotiable uh also the disparity shown by you is going to finally creep into the headspace you don't show the disparity in your immediate environment you're going to then make them feel like so you know so it's it comes from very tiny things about how they address everyone in the house you know the respect that you give the others in your immediate like you know in your work environment in the house is how they will be so that is very critical that you make sure that there is that respect given you know which they do and i think not only compassion to people working for you but also for other children you know the ability to want to share because i notice children at a very early age are immediately territorial about their things it's the way they are meant to be i think in a certain way and you have to break that territorialism you know you have to make them kind of try and share though i'm trying very hard my children are just not sharers for some reason they don't even share with each other like they are so crazily protective about their things i don't know what to do i'm trying every day saying sharing is caring is like almost become a mantra in my life and i think i have to find a new way of saying it to them they just don't like to share their things for some reason and i'm totally the opposite of that i think they get that from maybe my mother i have to change that because <laughs> my mother is very territorial about her things i think that's it so, so let me blame it on her just take let me just feel free of that you know we're constantly making decisions for our children what is that dilemma that you go through as a parent every single day thinking am i doing the right thing what are those questions that play around in your head you know i think there's no rule book in parenting you know that's the first thing that we need to know the dilemmas are all allowed you're allowed to have those dilemmas because you're like am i forcing my characteristics on my child am i forcing my traditions and values and my religious beliefs or my spiritual beliefs on my child there's always that you must understand your children absorb you know they kind of get a sense of you without you realizing like almost i feel like children up to a certain age are like psychics they kind of know exactly what's going on if i'm sad and low my son and daughter sometimes just find their way to come and give me that hug i've never asked for it i've not told them anything they just know something is wrong it's like they can smell it and sense it so i think what you do and what you say at home is very critical because they're all like sponges they're absorbing you on a daily basis so whether you like it or not your moral fabric your beliefs your practices what you do what you say is going to be entering their headspace you cannot change that then who they hang out with is the stage 2 because that is also they say sangat na like old grannies tell you ki buri sangat ka asar you know so the other people who have different so it's very critical that you look at who your children are actually meeting you know because and that's the only one thing that i might sound rigid when i say this but i'm very because that's the one thing that i knew my parents were very careful about like careful about because you may inculcate all the values in your child what you believe or you might think that they're going in the right way but then they will go outside in the real world make their own relationships and they're with people who are contrary to what you would like your child to be or what you think that is the right way uh and that could mess things up it could it could actually wash over all your beautiful fluid training because you'll suddenly find your child not because at one point of time they're not in your control right they go into school they're meeting other kids so i always 
tell myself that that's the second stage. Right now, I'm not facing any dilemma. They're like beautiful sponges, especially in this uh, lockdown. It's this whole year, they haven't really stepped out. So they've just seen me and my mom. And, uh, you know, hopefully we've been saying and doing the right things around them. So they're fine. Um, but I feel like, A, to answer your first part of the question, the dilemma is allowed. But your biggest dilemma should be not what you're saying at home, is about what happens when they step out of the boundary of your house. That's where the real, I wouldn't say the word control because you should never control, but you should observe, monitor, and then give your take when required. Now, we struggle and we feel inadequate to play either a mom, play dad, play grandmom, daddy, nanny, aunt, uncle, whatever. You're obviously multitasking with those roles of playing both the parents. How hard is it? What are the kind of challenges that you face every single day? So. I have to be very honest and say I have not felt any divide really. I have not felt the void because of my mother. My mother is literally 24-7. Like the only television she watches is the nanny cam. So that is like she's obsessed with my children in the most beautiful way. Uh, like literally when she's not in their room, she's watching them on her phone. So she is like, it's like big boss. Like, you know, like my mother is big boss and looking over these children, like literally looming large, knowing exactly what's going on. So I haven't really felt the void. For myself, I would say that maybe eventually there are times that I feel like, do I miss a partner kind of to do this? But because I have my mother and we had a very early stage decided that they would call her mama uh, so that, you know, they feel like there's a dada and a mama and everything is like everyone else's. Because, you know, I knew that they would go out and see mamas and dadas everywhere. And I didn't want them to feel that they don't. So because my mother is so hands on everything, that void is not, I don't think I would love to give you an emotionally um, you know, evocative response to that, but I don't have one because there is actually complete normalcy, complete happiness in this beautiful arrangement. And I would never have been able to do this without my mother. Like, I think that I have to bless her and thank her. And even though she is my mother and you can take your mother for granted or so they say, I don't want to do that. I want to be appreciative of everything she's ever done for my children because really the value system she's inculcated in me is beautifully getting transferred to them as well. And I'm really fortunate. I Have I changed nappies a few times, but not very many times. Okay. Have I fed them? Yes. Have I fed them? Yes. Have they slept with me? Yes. They, I've done those maternal, paternal, well, crossover duties. But have I done a lot of it? No. I don't want to lie to you. No. But do I feel like I need to? Yes. Have I not been able to? Yes. Would I like too much more of it? Yes. Has it made a difference? I'm not sure. <laughs> but because I stay, because my mother always says, you know, this is crazy. I do all the work and yet they come running to you in the way they've never come running to me because they are very attached to me. Um, and uh, all I think I've given them in abundance is love. And uh, I think sometimes maybe uh, nappy changing is required, but then that love somehow I hope hopefully, hopefully compensates. Not that I'm justifying my inaction in that department but I'm do saying I'm saying that I haven't found because my schedules are crazy so I make time for them enough time for them but then I have to kind of sacrifice some of those duties for the work that I do no like I look at my mother she's 78 years old she has bad knees she has had three spinal surgeries she's really in pain all the time yet her alertness to do with them her just her, her abandon in the way she kind of monitors them and just the kind of passion she has for her parent part of the parenting i mean i really have to be so eternally grateful to her because this would have been an impossible task and i kind of knew that i had her that's why i took that decision and very honestly 
if I didn't have her presence in my life the way I do, I may not have even taken this plunge because I do believe that it's it's an odious task. You know, it is parenting is a tough, tough, tough task, and because you're creating people and personalities and bringing them into a turbulent world, um, you do need. I'm not saying that single parents are uh, are not empowered. I think they're beautiful, uh, but I'm grateful that I had my mother to do whatever she is doing. Karan, you've seen so much success and continue to see success. And in your adult life, you actually battled with depression. What did it really teach you? And and what do you want your kids to take away from that? It's a very uh, valid question, and I think it's a it's an answer that will, of course, differ from individual to individual. I can only speak about myself. When I turned 40, uh, uh, no, actually, this happened when I was about 42, uh, I started feeling like there was like some kind of a change and shift in my way of being. Uh, I started sleeping very little. I started feeling like every time like the phone rang, I felt like, like, like there was something, there was an anxious feeling within me. Uh, there was a seeping anxiety. I started feeling not sad because I believe depression is not sadness because sadness and happiness are transient emotions. You go from one to the other. Depression is an altogether different phenomena that you have to deal with. It's just where you don't feel like you want to get out of bed and it takes you that while to creep out of bed, have your shower and face the world. And you haven't slept enough. So you're also exhausted emotionally and physically, but also you're like, and then you have this people's person that has always been kind of the life of a party. And then you're play acting that same part, but you don't feel it. You actually want to leave that party and go back home and just go into bed, watch random television, read a book, and just not be with people. And actually, the what you're known for, so you're fighting your own reputation in a certain sense. And you're doing that because you, you care about what people think, uh, but actually you shouldn't be, so you're going through that inner turmoil. And I knew that I was going through something that was a part of maybe a midlife, not a crisis, but it was like a midlife point of some kind of breakdown, and I needed to address it, I didn't. I spoke to a very dear friend who advised me to speak to a psychiatrist. I met her. She was a wonderful lady. Um, I had many sessions with her. She felt that need that I had to be on some kind of medication. And it took me two or three years for me to kind of go through the beats of that phase of my life. Then I weaned off that medication. And I'm so much better for that. Now, what can I say to anybody else? All I can say is, a, vigilance for self and vigilance for people around you. Not just your child, but yourself first. You have to know you're strong within. First, you have to know the difference between sadness and depression. Sadness, as I said, is momentary and transient. It's like, I'm sad this job didn't happen correctly. I'm sad this project didn't come through. I'm sad that I didn't make the money I thought. I'm sad I'm not looking good today. I'm sad I'm not feeling good today. But the next morning I get a piece of good news and I'm happy. That means what I felt was sadness. And what I'm feeling now is happiness. Depression is not sadness and anxiety is not fear. Because fear is altogether different from anxiety. Anxiety is when you really have no control over what your inner emotions are and you start feeling anxious at the ring of a doorbell, at the ring of a phone, or at a, like a, a person walking in and asking you a question or meeting people. You don't wanna meet like 20 people at one go and you feel restless, you feel anxious. You don't know why, address that and see it. And for teenagers, especially parents who have teenage children, it's creeping into them a lot. Technology is doing that to us. You know, you know uh, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, opinions, 
followers, feedback, the way you look, the, the way you're told to look, like it's like all that, you know, when you have body issues, you have more, you have, uh, you know, kind of, you have issues to do with your personality, your sexuality, you have so much going on. I believe parents need to constantly look at their child if they've locked themselves up in a room for too long, if they're blocking people from walking in, if they're actually behaving different than what they were behaving, please make sure that you identify that situation and seek help because you're helping your child. Mental health is something that we do not give enough time to, enough attention to, and enough knowledge of. You're not, nobody reads anything about mental health and it's treated in a way that is so insensitive, not only in our country, in so many parts of this world. And I'm glad the world is waking up to the fact that it's as much a problem, like you, you immediately rush to the doctor with a, with a cardiac issue or with a diabetes issue or with a neuro issue, uh, with a pain in your body, a knee, a back, and you'll go to the best doctors, the specialists, you'll seek assistance, you'll vitaminize your body for whatever you need to, but mental health, you don't understand. It's as much of an issue, in fact, if not more. Um, and I believe you have to be vigilant for self and your immediate environment. So I'm only telling you that, again, I seeked help because I believe that's, that's what you need to do. And I identified it and I was able to seek help and I'm glad I did and I'm fortunate that I could. But there are a lot of others I see around me who are not doing that. There are parents who, so we as a community, and I don't know if it's a thing being in our country, but we tend to brush things under the carpet emotionally a lot because we believe that it's okay. You know, we believe that when you brush a big issue, a gharka issue or an emotional issue under the carpet, it'll take care of itself. But understand that that dirt that you have brushed under the carpet or that baggage that you brushed under the carpet is going to just solidify, become even bigger, larger, and eventually you're not going to have, be able to control it. So I believe very strongly addressal and acknowledgement of issue is the first step to improvement. What prompted you to have kids? What led to that decision? And how has it changed you as a person? I've done everything as a result of my instinct. I knew that at a certain age when I, I, I just needed to kind of go into the 2.0 version of my life emotionally. And I felt that, that me parenting was going to be the next stage of my, myself, you know? And I feel like, and I know that, you know, that could have been, a, and I have to be honest and say partially, it may have been a selfish decision. Because you know that eventually you're, you're alone and you want the comfort of people to love you like you were loved, you know, by your parents. And you want that love for yourself, which sometimes the kind of love that children can give a parent or parents have given their children is a different kind of unconditional love that you don't get from a partner, a romantic partner, a spouse or a relationship. You get that from your children and I seek that. I wanted that because I was so loved by mine and I was the only child. I wanted that for myself. Uh, so maybe 50% of my decision was selfish and 50% was because I believe I was ready for it emotionally. So I took that step. Um, I'm not sure whether um, selfishness is the only reason to have children because it probably is not. But in my case, I can't lie to you because I can't lie to myself. This, it centered me. I, I was a little um, all over the place in my head and I feel like I have a tunnel vision for what I want emotionally and professionally now. And I think my kids have done that. They've given me a, a center, um, you know, and I believe that that center will shows me a path. You know, when you go left and right, you still don't follow one path. You keep going all over the place. You go into a zigzag zone of life. I think when you get a center within, 
you have a path ahead that you can just walk on. And I think I found my center with that. There was not a day through this year, and it's been a tough year, that I I slept with a heavy heart only because I had put them to bed right before that. And it just kind of is like a calming, soothing, balming effect on your wounded self. You know, it's like you may have the wounds through the day, but you kind of sleep knowing that you'll wake up to that hug and that kiss and that feeling. Like almost it's like it's like you're going through a rough place and you see their face and you feel like, ah, nothing, nothing matters. Like, I mean, no troll can do to me and combat the love that I get for my children. I just believe that, that nothing anyone says in the world can affect me anymore because I feel I have them. Like they have given me the empowerment emotionally that I believe absolutely no, no turbulence in your life can, you know, kind of, kind of shake you up with. What's your parenting style and how does it fit in into the book? Well, I think it's important to kind of like, sometimes it's tough because your children are always, you know, being naughty or kind of, you know, kind of stepping out of the zone of your discipline. But somehow I think if you set the motion right from the very beginning, they fall in. Like my children, let me tell you, because they know they have to sleep at a certain hour, they don't combat sleep at all. Like they don't, like they know. Like in many times they're saying, Dara, it's time for us to sleep. Now leave the room. Like, you know, they know. Because from the beginning I've said, this is the time you sleep. You have to sleep at this time. No matter what you have to sleep, it's gone in the head. So I think sometimes being like a broken record has worked in, and my mother saying that again and again and again, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that has gone to the head. And also I believe shouting and screaming is not something that actually has ever worked with me when my parents, when I was raising, and I don't think I believe, like I believe, we believe that that temporary nature of shouting and screaming at a child will actually resolve that issue. I think a stoic silence goes a long way. Like you say it and say, I'm not happy, Yash or Ruhi, with what you just did. I'm not happy. They will still continue, but it's gone in their head that, that Dada's not happy. And they'll find their way back to you to do something cute because they know that they've upset you. So I take a very silent, but upset tone and I take, and I go distant from them. I don't, I become nowhere close to them. I show my unhappiness in a very strong, silent manner. And I believe that's really worked. So my style of parenting is never to scream, never to shout, to discipline with strength and silence, as opposed to screaming, shouting, and constantly badgering them with your, with your like, I believe it's worked for me. You've got your biography, this unsuitable boy. You've got the children's book. What's next? Well, what do I plan to write next? I, I do believe that uh, An Unsuitable Boy, which I wrote, um, uh, you know, definitely warrants a continuous uh, kind of, I think, energy. <laughs> but if, 2000, if 2020 was any indication, I feel that there's a lot more that can come. So I'll wait it out and write part two of that book maybe in a couple of years. But what I do want to do is the big thoughts of, of, of Little Kusha next. You know, because uh, in the illustration, I want to go the girl's perspective. We've done little love. Now we're going to do little Kusha. And I hope that I'm allowed to eventually do that. There are many books on gender stereotyping. What, what do you think sets yours apart? Uh, I haven't read many other children's books based on stereotypes. Uh, so I can't tell. I just think that mine is really deeply ingrained into the way I think the Indian parenting operates. Because, you know, I, I think... We have different cultures for, and you know, I think the West has parented their children in different ways and then how we were raised. So I've kept it very 
to our, the country. The, the book, I think, is very representative of what we are as a community of people and how we were raised in the in the in, in our country. And uh, I believe we've kept that traditional aspect of parenting versus what I believe is the progressive way of parenting and balance that. So I would say the USP of the book is that it's deeply entrenched in parenting in India. You know, and I feel like like there, I'm not sure if there's another book like this in India. And if there is, I'd love to read it. But I believe this is representative of what we are as parents. And I hope that that resonates with, with every Indian parent, every Asian parent. What advice would you give to parents of teenagers during this pandemic? Well, again, I think it's important for you to occupy their minds and not just their, you know, uh, it's like, because I know that a lot of teenagers are going through a lot of inner angst because they've been blocked into their homes. They haven't been able to, and they're seeking only viral assistance for a window into the outside world, which is not always healthy. So I think you have to inculcate a way that they can actually occupy their minds by, you know, taking up online courses, learning something, and, you know, making that feel exciting for them. Something that could be a passion of theirs that they that they take up, that makes them feel good. I tell a lot of my parents, of parent friends who have, like, teenage children, that please don't allow them to wither away and watch just... OTT platform work and just be on the phone, on Instagram, or just constantly like on like WhatsApp video calls with their friends because it's going to make them rust away and it's going to make them sadder. I think they need to kind of work towards doing stuff that engage their minds through this pandemic. I think they need to learn. Um, a lot of a lot of available learning is there online. And I think that I would encourage parents to encourage their children, but not to do it like a pressure, but something that they would enjoy. If you know your child is a good singer, tell them to you know kind of you know hone that craft, a music instrument, anything online that kind of makes them enjoy what they're doing. But they need to do a lot of that because otherwise they might just you know kind of um, feel very stilted in this environment. Two kids love Sindhi food. They love Sindhi curry and chawal and aloo tuk uh, because you must know that my house, I'm Punjabi, my father's Punjabi, my mother's Sindhi, so I'm both. Uh, and uh, but my food habits are all Sindhi. I've got them all for my mother. So Sai Bhaji and Sindhi Kari are very regular features in this home. So my son loves it. My, my daughter, for some reason, it behaves like she was not born here because she likes only pasta. She likes only Italian food. And so there's a there's a food conflict that we always, so we have to balance it always. The thing they both- your movies in the virtual womb, you know? Yeah, literally. It's like- I know all your locales. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think they've seen anything. I think she's just got this taste of like wanting pasta and spaghetti and doesn't like dal chawal or sindhi kadi and rice. And like, so we have to keep constantly, you know, making making her also get there because eventually you have to like all kinds of food. Uh, but yes, there's a lot of sindhi food being cooked for the children as well. Karan, the abundance of having so much, so many materialistic pleasures, how do you make sure that your kids are grounded? I'm feeling miserably in that department. Uh, a question that needs addressal for all parents, but I'm feeling deep and my mother is not happy with me because I am, I have spoiled them this year. Like, and I think I've made them very, very like, like wanting more things because I've given them, because I just, I was at home through the year, every morning and night, and I just, I, I, now I'm, I'm kind of facing the brunt of it. So I'm going through that dilemma of, of not giving them a new thing every day because, uh, you know, when we have things talked away that we kind of don't show them and give them. But, you know, sometimes I just can't help myself because I'm so excited for that toy myself that I want to give it to them or that garment that I want them to wear. I'm being so idiotically selfish about material things because I want them, this happiness that 
I get when I see their faces light up. So I'm, as I said, I need to change that about myself. I need someone to answer that question for me about what I should do because I'm really failing in that department. So I have no answer to give you, but just I need assistance. That's where my mother's values actually do come in because she balances it as much as she can. And the only fights that she's having with me, rather with my mother's never a fight, it's a one-way fight. She fires me and I listen. That's how I was raised. Even at 48, I'm like, my head is down when she's screaming at me and I don't say anything. So she's told me, she just took me aside two days ago and said, Karan, I'm not allowing you to give them anything and you are not going to interfere. The moment I find out you've given them something new, that's it. So, and that's it means I don't know what she means the punishment I'm going to get is I'm a bit worried because she said that's it because I know she can't walk out on me and uh, and I know that she can't do anything to scare me but she gives says it in such a scary way that I'm actually really worried now because I'm scared of my mother I still am and I'm like at 40 she has given me a real telling off too so I got a and when Shahrukh tells you that Gauri Des Gauri did that but let me tell you Shahrukh, I don't think listened to that budget given and he did more. And I've seen him do that. You think, you see, I think Shahrukh is the best parent I've seen in terms of the time he gives his children and the passion in which he's parented them. So he's like my role model parent. So I think the one wrong thing I may have got from him is the indulgence. Uh, Three things you would love to tell moms and dads out there. Uh, the first thing I tell moms is don't always annul the opinion of the dads because sometimes they actually do say things that could be relevant, uh, many times not. So learn to see the good from the bad, but do that process, listen to the dads at times. Also, the other thing about moms is that uh, what another mom does may not apply to you. So don't always look over your shoulder to what another mom is doing, you know, because there's advice in the mother's groups and I'm part of some WhatsApp groups is in abundance. And you get very insecure when you feel another mother is doing this, but I'm not. Like that other mother is putting my, the, the child in ballet and football and X and Y and Z. I'm not doing all three. Don't be insecure. Do what is your instinct and what you can do, what you can perhaps emotionally afford or monetarily afford or just what your instinct tells you. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't, don't, do, like, don't do like impressionable parenting because that's where I think that a lot of moms and dads, I think, you know, suffer from that, like, usne kya, maybe karu kya. You know, it's like, no, what applies to that household and that particular parenting may not apply to you. So don't feel lesser if you haven't done as much for your child as someone else is doing. Uh, that's the second piece of advice that I would give mom. And the third piece of advice I would give moms is what I have wrote in the book, is please uh, allow them to breathe fluid energy allow them to actually interact without putting them into boxes. You know, please don't put your children into boxes because the more you do, the more they will remain there. You know, allow them to breed. What you say, what comes out of your mouth is very critical. So before you open your mouth to them, give it a beat of thought. That's what I do. And I, that's my advice to parents in general, but to moms as well, because I consider mine, I consider that I'm a mom and a dad so i'm also a mom so uh yeah and, and yeah that's what i would say thank you so much for chatting with us karan it's been an absolute pleasure and i'm so glad that we have this conversation you've really never spilled the beans and let us in into your parenting journey so i'm so glad uh, that we chatted today and it, it, i'm telling you it was indeed an enriching conversation for me thank you and my love to everybody who has tuned in 
thank you so much. And I hope that everyone uh, takes a piece of this book and in their own way, uh, inculcates them in their parenting processes. Thank you.